Well, we're going to continue on in our study of Galatians. Uh, as promised last week, I did finish chapter 3, and we're going to get into chapter 4, but we're going to backtrack a little bit into chapter 3, just a, a verse because it's a transition verse and it helps us. But if you haven't been here, which it's summertime, and I understand there's a lot going on in the summer. There's a lot of family stuff and outdoor stuff and in and out. Hopefully I can catch you up a little bit. But in chapter 1 of Galatians, we looked at the gospel, right? Paul starts off the, the chapter very strongly about the gospel, right, and the importance of it, and that the gospel is not to be added to or taken away from, right? They're very foundational doctrine. And we also looked at why did he have to do that? What was the, the purpose in having to make that, that basic 101 teaching? Because people were adding to the gospel at that point, or taking sometimes away from it. But the, the addition, especially here in Galatians, we saw, and we looked at it in Acts chapter 15, was they were adding circumcision to it, right? The, the Jews were saying, all right, you Gentiles want to get saved, so let's add this on to you. If you get circumcised and go back to the law, then you can be saved. And Paul's saying, no, 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 wait a minute. That's not, that's not right. That's not the purpose. And Paul has to spend a lot of time explaining that because that is the temptation for the Jews, right? To, to go back to the law. And can I tell you, it's not only a temptation for Jews to go back to it, but really, if we be honest, it, for even us today, we struggle with it, right? We, we sometimes like to go back to those rules or we put extra things in front of the gospel. And we spend a whole message talking about that, right? What are the, some of the stumbling blocks that we put in front of people, right? Joe, you brought up a great one this morning. I, I love how God does that, right? But sometimes appearance, Right? We see someone and we either make a quick judgment, well, they don't need the gospel. And we would never say that out loud, but we see that they look at, they might even have a Christian shirt on, well, they must be saved. Right? Or the opposite, right? We see that they don't and we say, well, they can't be saved. And there's no way by that outward appearance that they need the gospel. And so we can make that determination and, and fail on that part of listening to the Holy Spirit. Leanne, you mentioned that as well, uh, about the Holy Spirit and, and the, the importance of following that. We'll see that actually in today's text. I, you must have been reading ahead or setting me up, um, but it's so true. I'm actually reading a book right now, and um, in the summertime, I'll make a confession, I don't have to read. I have requirement readings during the year, but the summertime, I take off to read for fun. And a pastor had given me this book a couple years ago, and I said, well, it's on my list. I'll get to it. But it, the, the name of the book is uh, Immediate Obedience. And it's not one I would have chosen, but it's actually been really good. I can't fully recommend it yet, so I, I'm only about three-quarters of the way through, and I've got a little bit more to go. But it spends a, a couple of chapters talking about hearing from God and being obedient to what the Spirit's leading. And it's been really re, a good reminder and an encouragement about listening to God and that relationship, which fits in well with today. And again, if you were with us last week, we, we Paul brought up that situation about the law again, right? And, and he talked about the importance of the covenant, right? And we spent quite a bit of time about Abraham, right? The, the Old Testament, right? We, we, we dug deep into Abraham. And we talked about Abraham was considered righteous because of his faith. faith. Ah, good job. Right on it, right? Not because of the law, right? Because when Abraham was around, was there any law? No. 
right? The law came afterwards. In fact, it says in Scripture, 430 years or even a little more than that came after came the law. So the law is not what saves us. The law has a purpose, and it had a purpose, and it was a good purpose for that time, but now we are under grace, right? And so Paul is making that argument, and hence the continuation of today. And you say, well, Charlie, all right, we already got this. We, we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks now, but I got to tell you, it creeps in, and Paul does change position here, but if the same argument wasn't true today as it was then, we wouldn't have to spend so much time on it. And like I said, not only do the Jews have that, but Gentiles have that as well. Many of the the pagan religions that the Gentiles were following before they became believers had a lot of rules and rituals and things they had to do. And at the root of that, it's a control thing, to be honest. It's a way of controlling people, right? Keeping them in bondage, tying them back to the law and not living under that freedom of grace. And so it's the same for the Jews and the Gentiles in that regard. So chapter 3, verse 29. Like I said, I'm going to read it because it, it helps us as we kind of keep going. We, our chapter breaks and our verses are not inspired, but, and sometimes they don't always fall right. But here's one of those, again, the letter is an entirety. Uh, it's one of those verses that helps us carry over. Verse 29 says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He's going to spend some time talking about this, this word heirs and right what that means, our inheritance, and the change that we, when we become believers, what we gain. And so that's uh, the basis for this morning is, is that heirs of Christ. 4.1 says, what I am saying is this, that as long as an heir is an underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. So again, if you know anything about heirs, and, and we sometimes we'll use the word age, a certain age, or age of accountability, or an age before we allow something to happen, right? There's an age that we allow people to drive, right? Most states is around that 16, right? It's the age, and you can apply for your license, take a test, and receive it. There's a certain age before you can serve in the military. There's an age before you can drink. There are barriers or things that people put in place to say, now you are of age. The Jews had a transition from a boy to a man. There's an age there as well, somewhere between 12 and 13, depending on which part of that you follow. I've actually been able to take part in a a service once where a young man and his family wanted to have him a coming of age, and I was one of the three people that got to speak at that. And again, it was a transition where now this young man is recognized as a man. And it comes with different responsibilities, but it also comes with certain freedoms. And so Paul is saying the same thing here with the, the transition from the law and then Christ and in grace that comes with different privileges. There's more freedom in that. And so that's the basis for this. And he goes on with that same argument or the same basis for his point here. In verse 2, he says, The heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Right? So until that man reaches that certain point or until the children get to that, a certain age, they are under that, that guide, under that rooftop, under that, that covering. Right? 
We used to have a saying in our house, and I almost said thankfully, but I mean, there's pluses and minuses, but our kids are all now out from under our roofs, right? They're no longer under our house. They're no longer under that. And each age, they'd have more freedom, but now they have lots of freedom because they're their own families, right? They're not under that anymore. They don't have curfews anymore. They don't, they're not asking me for the keys to the car either, which is kind of a blessing. And uh, I have a little more gas in my vehicles and things like that. But things have changed. You that have kids or grown kids, you understand that, right? There's a change when they become of age. And verse 3, under your roof, there's still those guidelines or certain guidelines. Verse 3, so also, when we were under age... We were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Right? Obviously, when Christ came, there's a change, right? There's a great change from what used to be to what is now. And again, you got to remember, Paul is talking in that early church, that early time, and things are still in transition and, and shaking out, and they're still trying to figure it out. What does it mean to be under Christ now and to be a Christian? It's much different than it was under Judaism. And so Paul is, is helping them transition, but there was a big change when Christ came. You don't even have to be a dispensationalist to, to see that or to admit that. That's, that's an, it's an okay to do that, right? There, things change greatly when Christ, not only when he came, but obviously when he died on the cross for our sins. Things changed. And so Paul is reminding of that and, and bringing that to light, right? He's pulling that out of this. And again, there's so much here in these few verses, but again, the, the coming under the law and then leaving us with grace and faith, right? There's that, that change, the redemption, right? You could do a whole sermon on redemption and what that means, being redeemed and then being adopted, right? As Gentiles, that's vitally important for us that we are adopted, right? And then even as we're all now adopted into Christ's family, that relationship has changed now. It's much different. And Paul says, all right, because of this, Here's the next part. Because of this, you are his spirit. God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Again, another change, another huge change in this is the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The receiving of that Holy Spirit, that, that connector that we have, that, that great wealth that we have inside of us as believers. I think I made mention of this a few weeks ago, but it's probably one of the most underutilized things that we have, right? The Holy Spirit. We, we tend to, to rely on God and, and, and the Father, and we, we know that and we respect that and we understand part of creation and all that, and then Jesus and our, our salvation, but then we, we kind of lag behind in leaving the Holy Spirit out of that and what a gift that is. And again, we know they're all connected, right? They're not separate have different roles, but they're, they're all one and the same. And so that's how we can have that relationship. You know, we were talking about outside appearances, but have you ever met someone and, and you don't know them and, and, and you can't gain anything by their appearance, but there's an automatic connection, right? 
The Holy Spirit in them connects you to the, the Holy Spirit inside of you, and, and instantly you have some common ground, and you know in your heart, you're like, hey, there's something different about them, and hey, I, I want to get to know them more. I want to have a relationship with them. That linkage, right? That's not by chance. That's our spirits working together. Also, that spirit within us allows us to have that relationship with God that we can call him Abba. Again, that's an Aramaic word, but it's like, like daddy, right? As a, a, a young child reaches for its father. You got to remember up until the point with the law, right? There's, they don't have that type of relationship, right? It's a, a priestly duty, and the, the priest had a ritual and would do certain things, but it wasn't a relation. It was more of following a set of rules and, and doing things a certain way. Yet we have that freedom now to have a relationship, a personal and intimate relationship with God the Father. And so have so much more in many ways than they had before that. And so Paul is reminding them that and teaching along the way here. And I'm sure he's reinforcing things that he had already spoken to them. Verse 7. So you are no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. See that, the progression, right? Paul has used steps here as he's, he's made this proclamation and as he's made his case here because of the relationship and because of what Christ did. And now that you are an heir, right? Child of God, heir, you, you've grown in. You go into that maturity of being that heir. It's a logical argument Right? Paul is appealing to logic here, and he, he's been using the scriptures in the Old Testament to, to show the differences and the changes and the gift that we have now. Verse 8 says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slave to those who by nature are not God's. Again, he could have been referring to the world has certain requirements on us, or he could have been also the, the, the scribes and the priests, right, and the Pharisees, and as we talk about them often, the, the, they, they, would, they certainly did that while Jesus was to, to put people in a box to control, right? They certainly did that while Jesus was here, right? They were always looking for a, a law to kind of use to capture him, to, to show that he wasn't truth. You know, I've said the, the law is always... You know, it's always good, right? It's good when it's someone else. We, we use the example of speeding, right? And we, we did that little exercise of who's sped on the way into church. Kent, you better be careful because there was an unmarked on 371. I actually texted PJ a note. Just, hey, honey, just so you know, there's a, a couple of stadies out on 371. Uh, we took separate vehicles. No, I waited till I got here. But thank you for checking, though. <laughs> but I have been guilty of that breaking that law. Yes, I, I'm not going to say that I didn't. But I, I didn't text her at the moment. You're right. She was far enough behind. I knew I had time to do that. Actually, I might have been doing it when I was picking up David. But I wasn't driving at the moment when I was texting. Otherwise, he probably would have pulled me over. So I have the benefit. My truck doesn't go that fast. So I don't have to worry, at least on 371. But again, that law, right, restricts us. And you can see that, and you become a, a slave unto that in many ways. And Paul is saying, that's what you used to be, but that's not the way it is now. It's with the relationship. Verse 9 says, but now that you know God, or rather, you are known by God, 
How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Right? Paul is, and again, we kind of lose it here in the English, but Paul is probably being a little bit stronger with this, and, and we might lose a bit, right? But he, he, he's probably a little frustrated. I can, can understand that, right? It's like, why are you turning back? Why are you going back to those old ways? Why are you reverting back? Again, you that have had children and parenting, right? There's been times when the, you think a kid's finally gotten out of a stage and they're not going to do that anymore, and then all of a sudden they go back and do something that you know, they did with them. Why are you five years ago and you're like, what? Why are we back here again, right? There's, there's frustration in that. Why are you reverting back or why are you stepping backwards? And so I think Paul has that same here. He loves them, and he's seeing them trying to turn back, and the, the damage that's being caused upsets him. And he's saying, do you wish to be enslaved again? Do you want to be trapped in that again? And again, not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles had this same entrapment. A lot of the pagan religions were not much different. They had their rituals, they had their things they had to do, and they would enslave them just as greatly as Judaism did. Verse 10, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Right? I think it builds right here to the, to the, the, the point, right? Have I wasted my time with you? I've invested all this in you, and is it all been for naught? I've learned over the years of ministry that, that time does not always equal loyalty, or time doesn't always equal results, right? But that's not up to me, and that's not my calling, right? My calling is to invest in those that are in front of you. And it's a good reminder for ministry. And Ryan, you had a great example, right? Praying for 10 years, right? Before that prayer gets, gets answered. Again, not fully answered, but answered, right? It's a, it's a continuation. And again, it doesn't always result right away. That's harder for our society today than, than ever, right? We want an instant answer. I'm sure, Ryan, you wouldn't have minded one 10 years ago, right? Pray once, and God takes care of it, I'm all set, and, and you go on. Instead, sometimes it takes that persistence. Those that are in the prayer ministry, you guys are working through a book that talks about that, right? Being persistent in prayer. I'm not reading the book, but PJ's keeping me updated, and I think I feel like I might as well read it because she's letting me know every step of the way, every chapter, uh, and she reads it to me. So I'm gaining some extra knowledge there on the prayer. But it's so true, right? And Paul says, I, have I wasted on you, right? And so Paul's going to shift now, and this is part of another transition. Paul's given all the arguments. He's given all the case. He's appealed to the logic, to the mind, and now he's going to appeal to their emotions, right? It's interesting. He started with the mind first, and now he's getting into the emotions. Sometimes if you try to do that backwards, it doesn't always work, but depending on the situation. But Paul's going to shift now. And Paul can do that because he has a relationship with them, right? He, he's been with them. He's spent time with them. He cares about them. Right? It's, it's not like somebody he doesn't know. And so now he changes a little bit and he appeals to their emotions and he says in verse 12, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you and you did me no wrong. Right? He says, amongst you, I, I, I fitted in, right? I, I became part of you, right? part of the group. We, we, we spent time together. 
we did things together, right? We, we acclimated to each other. I know some of you may laugh, but I am starting to work on acclimating to the Midwest. It's getting there. I do order pop now, and I'll even say come with. I'm learning, right? And, and I'm, I'm trying to put my R's back in. There's just sometimes I just can't do it. It just doesn't fall in the right place. But with forgiveness and usually a little laugh, I'm acclimating, right? Certainly acclimating to the water here and the fishing. I'm enjoying that uh, and the area. But to the culture as well. One of the things I haven't done with my car recently, and I'm working on it, I haven't touched my horn in, in weeks now. I'm doing pretty good on that. You know, it's just not natural for me. I, I've gotten close, but I've restrained enough to, to keep it off. David reminds me that every once in a while when I'm driving. I think he would use my horn if he could, but he, um, he's, now that he's driving, he's, he's, he's going to have to work on that as well. But Paul has that relationship with them, that, that key relationship. And so as he's made all this argument, now he's going to appeal to their emotions. And so he, he works on that as he goes through this. He says, we were, we were together, right? You did me no wrong. In fact, they even went beyond that. It says, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn, Right? So Paul has some sort of illness, something that takes place. Can I tell you, the commentaries have fun with this. Uh, scholars love these things that are kind of open-ended. Like, and you can much well throw in a guess there, too, if you want, what his illness was. And the list is long. Was it the thorn in the flesh? Was it his eyesight? Was he just sick from malaria? I, I mean, the list is long. It looks like kind of fun that they had this great debate at some point. But um, take a stab if you want to guess what the illness is. But that's not the point, right? The point is... They treated him with care. They put up with his illness. And, you know, most likely he wasn't able to perform things that he would normally be able to do. Right? He may have been laying in bed for a few days. He may have missed a few Sundays even. It may have happened during that time. And he says, you didn't treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, it says, instead you welcomed me. As if I were an angel of God, as if I were Jesus Christ himself, right? They cared for Paul. They, they loved him. They loved on him while he was there, even through that illness. Again, the relationship is key here. And so verse 15 says, where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eye and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Right? I said, Paul's now drawing upon his relationship, and you know, the, the tearing out of eye that, that sent the, the commentators in another whole spiel. Well, it had to be his eyes, and that you know, the, the blindness from his conversion. Again, there's nothing to back that up, but it would almost be a saying like today, I'd give my right hand, right? That might be another, it's a saying of the day. It's an inside joke or an inside comment that they would know instantly, right? We have those things, right? If we have relationship, we have things that we know about each other or, or funnies or, or things that we can, can tease or pick on each other, Right? kind of an inside thing, but it, it helps with our relationship. It's, it's part of what we know about each other. And Paul says, your care was so great that you would have given up something. You sacrificed on my behalf. That's part of the relationship, right? 
giving up things, spending time, spending of ourselves, right? That energy, right? Yet he says, have I now become an enemy by telling you the truth, right? Paul's feeling it a little bit, right? He's, he's like, you're going backwards from what I taught you, and, and now instead of, of you, know, you held me up in high esteem, now I've fallen somehow in, in the relationship. You know, I, I, I gave you truth, some things that, that are probably going to have to change. And I've said this, sometimes you have to burn a little bit of relationship capital if you truly care about someone, Right? If I really care about you, I'm going to let you know that something's not right. Especially if I see it or I witness it, confirm it, right? Hey, that's not right. That's not okay. That's not going to be a good decision, right? You may not like that because you've thought, oh, this is a great idea and this is something wonderful. And now someone else is opposing it. And so rather than accepting that, you may say, well, you know what? You don't know what you're talking about. You have to burn up with some of that. And again, sometimes those hard conversations are the most loving thing you can do, right? And if we turn it back, obviously, when we were talking about the Holy Spirit earlier, right? That Holy Spirit sometimes has those hard conversations with us, right? And if we could be honest, sometimes we, we kind of get a little irritated. I'm, I'm being nice. We actually get mad at God for bringing that to light or for showing us that. I don't know, maybe it's just me. I've had that argument. I've, I've sat there and argued with myself and been wrong on both accounts. Some of you get that. Some of you are like, hmm? Yeah, you'll think about it in a minute. You'll get it, right? But, right, we get upset with the Holy Spirit. Oh, come on, really? That's not a big deal. Now, five miles over the speed limit's not a big deal, right? It's not, a, not an issue, Right? No problem. It was a short text. I, you know, I could do that. You know, with the, the, the words, I can do one thumb thing. No problem. I don't need that other hand to drive. No. We can justify it. But the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, you know better. I can hit the horn. They need to get moving, right? They're in my way. I'm, I'm, I need to get somewhere, right? No. Right? It's those things that are a little bit harder to take sometimes. But again, because of that relationship, and I know that it's for my good, if I can come around that, that, that conversation, ah, thank you, Lord. You were saving me. Saving me from trouble that I didn't see. And I needed that. And so Paul is doing the same thing here with, with the Galatians. And again, these groups of churches that he's talking with, he said, hey, I'm telling you the truth to spare you going back to bondage, to getting into trouble, to becoming bound again. Things that will lead you away from God, not towards him. And so that's the thrust of Paul's message up till now. And Paul's going to continue on this a little bit more. And the rest of the, the book of Galatians gets a lot more into practical, right? He, he's, he's appealed to them on different levels. And there'll be some more appeal in his argument. But you'll see that he actually gets more into, all right, so now that you believe these things, how do you live them out? Application becomes much easier. And so this morning, my application for you is how are your relationships? How are your relationships? First and foremost, your relationship with God, right? And the part of the other part of that is how's that relationship with the Holy Spirit, especially? How well are you listening? 
And number three, how is your relationship with others? How is your relationship with other believers in Christ? Is it strong enough that you could speak truth into them? Or do you need to spend more time with them? You need to be praying for them more. Nothing replaced. Checking in on them more. Spending more time with them. Nothing replaces time with people. I joke, and, but it, there's a lot of truth in it. Some of my best conversations are out on the lake or out on the golf course. You know, sometimes it's over a cup of coffee, right? But it's time that's concentrated together, and it's amazing, especially for men and me. We seem to have more conversations in those times when we're not catching fish or, or we're sitting waiting on someone else that's slowly going ahead of us and we can't cut through. We have those conversations in the cart that we would never have anywhere else. But that's all part of relationship building and spending that time. The place doesn't matter as much as it is the time and who you're spending it with. And so those are the the three areas I'd kind of put out there as application. And maybe you need to, to spend some time with God and say, God, maybe I need to spend time with someone else. Maybe I don't have that person I'm investing in. And so I need to ask God who that is as well. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the freedoms that you've given us, Lord, and that the blessing that you've bestowed on us. And Lord, where we are now, that we live in the age of grace. We thank you so much for that blessing and the, the truth of the gospel, Lord, and how it impacts our lives. And Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit that we have within us. Lord, help us to draw upon that. Help us to use those things that you've given us, Lord, to build your kingdom. And Lord, I thank you this morning. And Lord, as we come to your table and remember what you did on the cross for our sins, Lord, as we point everything back to you, for you are worthy to be praised. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the men to come forward that I've asked this morning to, to serve. And again, as we prepare for a communion... If you're new to Pointway this morning and you don't know, we have an open communion table. And by that, I mean that it's open to... That's what I get. That's my, my fault. Uh, it's happened before. Um, but it's an open table to all those who are believers. You don't have to be a member of Pointway. You can just be an attender. You can just be a visitor for the first time. But it's open to each and every one of us that are here this morning. But also, we want to take it seriously, and Scripture instructs us on how to take communion. And so, what we like to do here at Pointway is to spend a moment doing that. And so, the verses talk in Corinthians, So, then whoever eats of the bread or drinks from the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. It says, everyone should examine themselves before they eat of the bread or drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And so right where you're at, just between you and God, just bow your head, close your eyes, and have that conversation with God this morning as we come to that time of communion and we recognize what Christ did.
going to ask Rick to give thanks for the cups that we are about to receive and the, the bread, Lord. from the bottom. It says, for I given thanks. Lord, what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He goes on to say in the same way after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this. And whenever you drink it, remember me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Ryan leads us in closing song. And 
That's what we like to do here is uh, also use this as a reminder as there's empty seats next to you and around you and there's still cups left as a reminder this week that there are still many around us who don't know Christ yet. And so it's our obligation, it's our command, and it's our drive to go and share the good news with those who don't know. So let's do that this week.